everyone, and welcome back to Power Hour on the Until Saturday feed. I'm Nicole Auerbach, joined as always by Chris Manini. As a reminder, be sure to follow this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review, and if you leave a question with your review, we will answer it on the show. It is a reminder, as it is week one, that you're going to want to sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter. That's how you get your daily fill of college football news right into your inbox and You can also subscribe to our YouTube page. You can join us live every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on YouTube throughout the season as we preview and react to the weekend's games and hear from you, the listeners, on our Sunday Sound Off stream. As we always do with Power Hour, we start with the Power Five. Chris, I guess we might have to eventually change that to a Power Four. I don't want to be too morbid right out of the gate, but it's possible. That too, and for everybody listening, if we sound a little bit different, we are currently recording this from a ballroom in the dfw airport we have just finished up with the college football playoff meeting and talking to all the commissioners so depending on when you're listening to this there may be some stuff going on later but yeah we're back nicole it's, we haven't done this podcast in months power hour is back on the until saturday feed uh we'll be back to a normal weekly edition of this during the season on a normal day this is just different because of the playoff meeting because of realignment and stuff that's going on we'll talk about all that but it's good to be back it's good to be doing the first one here of the year in person. It is. And uh, let's start with the CFP meeting as number one of our power five as we run through each topic in eh, about a minute. It's always a very loose guide. In about a minute each, number one will be the college football playoff meeting Wednesday, pretty much all day in, as you mentioned, the DFW airport. We are connected to the airport in the Grand Hyatt. All the commissioners were there in person except for Jim Phillips. He had some travel-related issues. Um, There's a hurricane hitting the East Coast, and the ACC unveiled their HQ on Tuesday. He was not able to get out here. He joined by Zoom. George Klyovkov was here. Uh, We kind of chased him down, leaving the meeting. He was rushing off to a flight. Uh, The most notable quote from him on the way out was that he is focused on the future. He was asked what the future holds for him, and he said, us winning a national championship. And then he dashed off. So that is the most we've heard from George on the record in a while. Otherwise, everyone said it was very cordial. It was productive. They crossed off a lot of items on the to-do list in terms of logistics, like hotel bookings, uh, deciding that they're going to allow players' families stipends for every round of the CFP. And they had a little bit of a discussion about potentially changing the format from six plus six, which is six at-larges and six conference champions. Yeah, they tried to emphasize that this meeting was scheduled weeks, months ago, that there were a lot of things to get done with the playoff. And there really are. There are a lot of boring logistical things to most of us that they need to work out. I think they said they got the merchandising deal done, which I know nobody cares about. But like Chris, Chris loves merch. It's important to get that stuff done. But the only thing anybody listening to this cares about is whether or not they're going to keep the six plus six or if they're going to do the five plus seven. They are not doing that until we figure out if there are nine or ten conferences. So no major news coming out of the CFP. It was just generally a little bit awkward, like you said. A handful of you guys tried to chase down George Klyovkov as he got to the escalator as we waited outside all day. Uh, Greg Sankey talked to us. Some, you know, he, he empathized with George and what they are going through and what the Pac-12 is going through. So um, it's, it is more cordial than it was. Look, when, this, when things happened a couple of years ago, when the alliance happened, there was real friction between everybody. I think because we've gone through this three years in a row, it's a little bit less so. 
other than being very sad that the Pac-12 is going through what it is. Yeah, it was very interesting going into this because some folks did expect it to be awkward and others did point out that like two falls ago when they were talking about this, the alliance had been formed. OU Texas were off to the SEC. You had a lot of different conferences rating other conferences. So there were a number of commissioners in that room that were frustrated with each other. Um, And here we are kind of just waiting on the ACC to make a decision as we're recording this on Wednesday night. And that kind of is the next major domino to fall and and there could be some clarity. So we'll have a piece accompanying our uh, takeaways on the athletics website. But the main takeaway is they did not make any major changes to the format. They are meeting again for for more time at the end of September. To the other part coming out of this is that the the DFW Grand Hyatt Bar, the Alliance cocktail is no more. We spotted that a couple of years ago. Coincidentally, it just happened to be on the menu. No more Alliance and no more Alliance cocktail at the bar either. Thank you, Chris. That was very important. Final detail there. Um, let's move on to number two of the Power Five, and that is the latest on the ACC. And again, this is this remains very fluid. Um, so we don't want to spend too too much time on this in case it gets outdated. If you're listening to this for some week one thoughts later in the weekend, but uh, the the as as of recording, the president's meeting has not been rescheduled yet. We were able to speak with Jack. Swarbrick, Notre Dame's athletic director, on Wednesday evening after the CFP meeting, he said that it is a at the presidential level. He anticipates that it will be rescheduled, but certainly there's a lot going on in the UNC campus in the wake of a campus shooting, and no one's going to rush anything for for realignment. There's there's real life issues uh, that are being addressed, and they will eventually come to a conclusion. Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American, also spoke just about the fact that they feel fine if they end up losing SMU. They have contingency plans and they're prepared to act, but also that SMU has been a great partner to them. They've been very transparent in all of this and that they don't owe the American anything. Yeah, everybody's just waiting on the ACC. That includes Washington State and Oregon State, who have been who have met with Gloria Navarro as a Mountain West commissioner and they are going to meet with Mike Oresco at some point. So uh, that is the plan now. Everybody's just kind of waiting to see what happens with Stanford and Callum, but obviously the tragedy at North Carolina has put everything on the back burner there, understandably so. So we'll see if this gets done by the end of the week. It's hard to say, uh, but it continues to go on. It does, and you know, in case anyone has missed out on kind of exactly how it would work, we are talking about deep financial discounts, essentially. SMU is willing to come to the ACC for at least seven years without taking a share of the media rights revenue. They would still be making money in terms of like their share of the, the ACC's NCAA tournament units and CFP money, but not that media rights revenue uh, that we talk so often about on this podcast feed. Also, you have a Stanford and Cal. And again, this number could change, you know, if things become finalized at any point here. But it would be starting about 30% of a full share in the ACC for those members. So that's still making more than they would make at the American or the Mountain West. Um, but certainly at a deep discount speaks to, I'm going to say desperation. I don't mean that in a negative way, but everyone is desperate and there are very few options. And I think for SMU, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on that real quick. This clearly shows that they want to be in a power conference and they will do whatever it takes to get in, believing that whatever it's going to cost them is worth it long term. Uh, Mike Resco said 
that this is just branding. It's another example of the branding of Power Five. But I think there's something to to their um, willingness to essentially pay their own way to get to the ACC. Yeah, look, I mean, the people at SMU have said for a while that they just need to get to a Power Five conference, and they believe they can further tap into a large donor base, which is already willing to commit to tens of millions of dollars potentially to make up for the loss. And look, SMU, they they won't they wouldn't get media rights money, which is twenty five ish million dollars or so. But they would they likely still would get CFP payouts and simply tournament stuff and all that kind of stuff. So they still may make more than they would in the American, even without taking ACC media money, so to speak. We don't know that for sure, but that's the general thought that is out there. But but SMU just feels like if they can get to that next level again, they just will have everything in place. There's so much money there. They are building a like hundred thousand. I'm sorry, hundred million dollar football building in the in the end zone right now. Like they they have a lot going on, and they're trying to show that they have the resources in place to get things done, and they're willing to do literally whatever it takes to get there. I guess we'll go into number three now. Normally we do this back and forth, but it's kind of a makeshift as we're doing this right now. Let's let's look back real quick. Week zero takeaways. We have seven games in the books. We have a new FC, a new FBS football team. We had Notre Dame Navy. Nicole, you go first because you had the more uh, top level thoughts. But takeaways from the first little mini week of college football. Yeah, I think. It is one of those weeks where we are prone to overreactions. Definitely saw a little bit of that with Sam Hartman's debut at Notre Dame. Not saying that he wasn't spectacular. He was, but still have some questions about Navy and their defense. The Heisman's on ice. The Heisman is on ice already. Sam Hartman's the leader in the clubhouse, right? We talk about September Heisman's. This was an August Heisman. But (laughs) I, I do think this gives us a glimpse of what Notre Dame can be with an elite quarterback who is healthy and I think it raises the ceiling. They've got three monster games on their schedule against three teams that could win Power Five conferences. So we'll see. We'll know a lot more about them when they play Ohio State, but very excited about what we saw offensively for Notre Dame. I'm still concerned about USC's defense, and it's going to take a lot, I think, to get people out of that feeling. I mean, Alex Grinch stayed. Lincoln Riley has brought him with him, stood by him. And I think just the the big plays, the total yardage, there's definitely concerns coming out of the San Jose State game. My last main takeaway was just how tough it must be to be a San Diego State fan. I think you go from being so close to thinking you're getting an invite to the Pac-12. It doesn't happen. Pac-12 is imploding. And now what? And you had a crowd that was small. It was less than 17,000 people by the turnstile in a seven-point win over Ohio and I could see that it could be challenging to try to drum up some fan interest or excitement around the season for the Aztecs. Well, the other part is it's August and it's extremely hot there and it was a day game. Um, but we, we saw this with San Diego State when they opened the stadium last year, that there was a lot of heat issues going on. So we'll we'll see. And look, the opponent was Ohio. That's not an opponent that's going to kind of get everybody juiced up. So we'll see with, with them. I think they'll be OK. That was a violent football game, by the way, of all of the seven games over the weekend. You had Curtis Rourke get knocked out of the game. A lot of big hits. A ref got hit in the face with a pass. A lot of physicality in San Diego State. My other takeaway was that Hawaii might be decent this year. I mean, a year ago, they gave up 600 yards and 63 points to Vanderbilt in the opener. Timmy Chang's first game. 
And then in this game, they outgained Vanderbilt by almost 100 yards. They lose 35-28 on the road. And look, it's one game sample size. We don't overreact too much, but that Hawaii team is good, could win some games this year. It's really been a complete rebuild, obviously, for Timmy Chang after the Todd Graham mess. So we'll see. It's week zero. We don't overreact too much, but it's good to have some football and it's good to have something to talk about. Number four, a debut that a lot of people have been waiting for. I don't think any one individual person dominated the offseason quite like Deion Sanders has in quite some time. And Colorado opens with TCU, fresh off a national championship game appearance. They have two straight big noon kickoff games to open the season. There's so much buzz around Colorado, so much intrigue on what the roster looks like. Dion flipping his entire roster. Some of the things he's said in general, literally from day one of taking over this job. So much has been documented, his foot, his health. There's a lot of questions. And Chris, I wonder, what are you most interested in seeing? I'm most interested in seeing the team that they're playing against. I don't know if you saw the Fox commercial on, uh, it's, it was airing last weekend, but it was all about Deion Sanders uh, talking about him coming in, taking over, and they were going to play, quote, a Big Ten, a Big 12 powerhouse with a B-roll of TCU for like a second. They are going all out with the Dion promotion of this. I feel like the defending national runner-up kind of has some bulletin board material, has a chip on its shoulder when going head-to-head against a 1-11 team last year. It's a weird dynamic between TCU and Colorado right now. Um, the people around TCU think they've got a really good team, and I think we'll we'll see with Colorado. I want to see if Colorado looks as small during games as they look like in a lot of those clips that they put out. I'm a little concerned about how small this team was, but they do have skill talent. It could just could be a rocky road for Dion. We will see. Now, maybe they play well, and if shoot, if Colorado plays well, if they win this game, get ready for an even bigger explosion of Dion content. But I'm honestly, I honestly mostly want to see what the defending national runner-up looks like. Number five, preseason 133. We're going to try to go over the 133 a little bit for a minute here each week. And wanted to go. So this is this thing blows up every year when I do this. I have to rank all 133 teams. And this is the hardest one to do because it's just an educated guess. Uh, Nicole, I want you to look through the 133 for a minute. If there's any teams that stand out to you uh, anywhere here where, you know, if you look at uh, like TCU defending national runner, I had them at 15. It's hard to put these teams in a lot of places. I had Georgia number one. A lot of people had Michigan or Alabama. But is there anybody you're curious about this year on just across the country about where they're ranked and where they may end up? Well, my quick first question for you right out of the gate is uh, why so much faith in Alabama? They have so many questions. You have them at number three, two spots ahead of LSU, who I personally have a lot more faith in. It's weird. I have Alabama. I know I I have Alabama number three. I also don't have them making the playoff. I also think they might start three quarterbacks this year. So like I don't have a lot of it's not faith, but it's lack of not faith, if that makes any sense. I, I don't want to doubt Alabama, but I don't necessarily believe in them either this year. We'll see. I think Texas probably gets them in Tuscaloosa. But, um, you know, the teams that are most interesting to me group of five teams. Tulane showed up in a lot of the end of top 25 for teams. I had UTSA in there as well at 24, but Boise State 26, South Alabama 27. Boise State, I think, is the team that 
That Boise State-Washington game this week, by the way, I think people need to pay more attention to that. We are not talking about it very much. It may be the third best game of the entire weekend, maybe the best game of Saturday or the second best game of Saturday. So keep an eye out for those. And just as this podcast goes on each week, we'll we'll dive into the 133 for a little bit uh, here and there. It's a good transition into our happy hour segment, which is the part of the show we talk about something we're excited about, something that brings us joy. I think week one as a whole, it certainly does. I think we're, we've been so excited to talk about actual football. There's been so many off the field headlines and storylines that we've needed to dive into all summer, all off season. So first of all, happy week one. Happy week one. I know we got a nice taste of it with week zero. I woke up fired up. I, I blared the early 2000s ABC college football thing, which is my favorite entrance for, for that. We got a lot of games, a lot of new networks involved in places to watch games. If you're a Michigan fan, I hope you have Peacock because you're going to need that to watch this game. So it's going to be a different college football season. The last of this modern, of the, of the last of this current era, the last of a 14 playoff, the last probably with a Pac-12. It's going to look a heck of a lot different. Enjoy it. Embrace it. And we'll see what happens when everybody in the Big 12 hates Texas and what they want to do about it. Well, also, it is the last year with, as you said, like the the, uh, the configurations that we have right now for conferences. So, you know, yes, like it could be the last year of Pac-12 as we know it, but also like it's just going to be weird when you have USC and U- UCLA and Washington and Oregon in the Big Ten and, or, and Oklahoma and Texas and the SEC and just all of the corner schools in the Big 12. Like it's just all going to feel really different next year. So um, as we look at week one, there are certainly some games that are excited just off the cuff. We're going to say Utah, Florida, super excited for that one. Don't want to spend a ton of time on it because you might be listening to this after that game is already played, but we'll start there. Love the Thursday night game. Usually one of the best games of opening weekend. Chris, I've got to start with FSU LSU. This was an interesting game last year, came down to some special teams miscues, but also you just have really high expectations for both of these teams. And I think it's going to be a major feather in the cap of a playoff resume, possibly, for the winner of this game. We believe, I believe, that Florida State is back. To whatever level you want to say back for them, the fact that we're talking about them as a a favorite in the ACC, we expect them to play Clemson twice this year in a rematch in the ACC championship game. They could be a dark horse for the playoff. To me, that means Florida State is back. And if they achieve what they're capable of this season, we will be talking about Jordan Travis as a Heisman candidate. We will be talking about a lot of their key skill players and all the different steps that they've taken. But I can't wait for this game. I just think it is a monster, monster game. It's the type of game I love to see right out of the gate because I want to measure these two teams against each other. It's fine. Last year when these two teams played, you thought it was, oh, it was brand versus brand. Both programs were down. It was kind of an ugly game. You win it on a blocked extra point or a missed extra point. And you're like, OK, well, we can we had fun with that. But neither of these teams are going to make noise this year. Well, it turns out LSU played in the SEC championship game and Florida State had a really good season. So, yeah, these programs do seem back on track. Florida State with Jordan Travis, with Jared Verse on, on the defensive line. I Florida State can lose this game. Both neither both teams can lose this game and be okay. Um, it's really Florida State Clemson in a couple of weeks where we're going to have a better sense of things. But this is Florida State for the first time in a while coming in with expectations. Ticket prices are huge for Florida State games this season, uh, and, and that's good. It's been Clemson dominating the ACC for so long. It'll be fun to have another team to try to push them in terms of this matchup. 
Jaden Daniels, Jordan Travis, both guys were, I think, top five Heisman odds. So I, I want to see how that works. I want to see if Florida State can rush, can can run the ball. And want to see what LSU can do trying to rush the passer. That's th- Those are things that both these teams are going to need to be able to do this season. And I'm looking forward to it. It's it's clearly the top game we have. Week two this year kind of has most of the bigger games, but this is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, want to run through a couple of other games for week one that you are excited for. Give me, let's say, two other games that you're pumped for. Well, Boise State, Washington. It's 3.30 ABC on Saturday. I said this already, but Boise State might be back, and I don't think people realize it. If you watched Boise State last year, you saw them start off 2-2. Two and two. You saw the quarterback go in the portal. You saw them fire the offense coordinator. That seemed like that might have been it. Well, then they racked off eight straight Mountain West games. Get to know the name Talon Green. He was a redshirt freshman last year. Was really good taking over for Hank Bachmeyer, quarterback. This Boise team, they're going to be able to run the ball. They should be able to run the ball. Washington's going to put up a lot of points. Really, really want to see how these teams look. Because I picked Washington to make the playoff. Boise State to win the Mountain West. Boise State could be the New Year's Six team as well. So this this is going to be a very, very good game between two Western, Northwest teams. And what's the other one? Let's uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. That'll be fun. Drake May, Spencer Rattler, 7.30 p.m. on ABC in Charlotte. Uh, these two teams like to have a lot of fun, with, a lot of fun in the early weeks uh, of the season, and we usually make grand declarations about both these teams based on what they do uh, in, the, in these things. But the winner of this game gets to call themselves Carolina, in my book. I mean, they, 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 they both like to use that, but I think the winner gets to be Carolina. Is Drake May going to look like we, we, we think he will? He came out of nowhere last year, had a monster year, and now he's potentially the number one or number two draft pick. How does that change coming into this year? Because North Carolina, when they have a lot of hype, they don't live up to it. You know, Sam Powell's last year in North Carolina was not a good one. So how does North Carolina handle the hype this year? And can South Carolina continue the momentum of how they closed last year? A couple others that I am pumped to see, mostly just because I want to see the quarterbacks. I want to see Kyle McCord uh, and Devin Brown, who's apparently also going to play in Ohio State, Indiana. Also typically love a conference game right out of the gate. Want to see Joe Milton in Josh Heupel's offense against Virginia. That one may not be that close, but it'll be interesting. Want to see Tennessee's offense. And I will personally be at West Virginia at Penn State. Now, that's a hot seat of all hot seat games for Neil Brown. And there are three touchdown underdogs. But again, Drew Aller, I want to see the young playmakers that were so special a season ago and see what they're able to do on offense and defense. And it's time to get to um, On the Rocks. This is the part of the show where we talk about a rocky relationship. There is always some friction somewhere in this sport, and we are going to try to make sense of a little bit of it. And I'm going to tee you up for this, Chris, um, but it is what's going on at Arizona State. Week of the season beginning, Arizona State imposes a bowl ban related to their NCAA infractions case. And we have heard a lot from Kenny Dillingham. We have seen a lot of reaction from fans, not even just of Arizona State. So explain to our listeners what happened and why this is such a rocky situation. Yeah, so during 2020, you weren't allowed to go on the road to recruit. You weren't allowed to bring anybody in to recruit. No COVID recruiting. That was the whole thing. And a handful of teams, turns out, were COVID recruiting, and they got in trouble for it. 
Tennessee was one of them. Air Force was one of them. And Arizona State was another one of them. And this has been an investigation that's been going on for a very long time. It happened under Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce was a big part of it. And so then the week, this week, the week of the first game of the season, Arizona State says we're self-imposing a bull ban for this for this first season. And Kenny Dillingham and the team are kind of pissed. And they should be pissed because you're dropping this now uh, when when guys can't go in the portal to change anything, you know, as they're trying to get ready for the first game of the season. And yeah, so this isn't an NCAA penalty. This is Arizona State's penalty. And the weirdest part about this to me is that the NCAA is trying not to do bowl bans anymore. They didn't give Tennessee a bowl ban. They just gave them some recruiting restrictions and a large fine that would be the equivalent of going to bowl games. The reason is you don't want to penalize the kids who are there. The, the people involved who, who who weren't involved in the violations shouldn't be the one facing the penalties. That's what the Tennessee thing was. I know the Oklahoma State fans are going to chime in and say, what about Oklahoma State basketball? You're right. The NCAA, I think, realized that was a problem. That's why they're trying not to do bowl bans anymore. But Arizona State comes in and says, we're doing a bowl ban, basically because we didn't want to pay the, the money and we did we couldn't take the recruiting restrictions, the, the reduction of days, reduction of scholarships. They didn't want to do that, so they're doing a bowl ban. Now, this Arizona State team probably wasn't going to a bowl game anyway, so maybe in the long run it will be okay, but to do it like that, to blindside the coach, to do it week one, just really another bad administrative look for Arizona State after years and years of continued administrative dysfunction. And just to underscore that about the the moving away from this penalty, Tennessee, you remember that press release? It said there were hundreds of violations. Hundreds. Hundreds. There were so many that were major penalties. And they said repeatedly in their r- report, this would have been a bowl ban. Like, here's why we are twisting ourselves in knots to not give a bowl ban. Because Tennessee cooperated. Tennessee helped us. We wouldn't have all this information without the cooperation of Tennessee. It was laying a roadmap for cooperation equals maybe a financial penalty instead of something that will impact players who weren't even there years later. It's so strange to impose the basically the worst penalty you could impose on someone right now yourself when the NCAA is moving away from it. Uh, We'll continue to follow all of that and uh, encourage you to watch uh, Kenny Dillingham's quote and rant really about the situation. I thought it was, um, it's exactly what I would want my coach to say in that situation. Yeah. And look, and Kenny Dillingham may get another year on his contract because of this. His contract states if the NCAA imposes a bowl ban or certain recruiting restrictions, it's extended another year. It's not clear how self-imposing does that, but I don't think he cares about that. I think he's just pissed off for his team. And like, it's tough for a coach. Like, how do you go in and say, Hey guys, here's what we're playing for. We're playing to get to a bowl game. We're playing to do this. And then you just take it away the week of the first game, like not, uh, not good, but look, Jaden Rashad is going to start for Arizona state. It sounds like that should be really interesting. It's, they made a lot of big moves in the portal there. Arizona State's trying to move forward with this. And Kenny Dillingham has a long-term vision there, but, uh, kneecapping yourself right off the bat, maybe when you didn't need to is going to be an interesting way to start this off. We are going to have a new segment, not every single week on Power Hour, but as many weeks as we possibly can. It's going to be called Open Bar. It is going to be essentially a mailbag. So if you've got questions for Chris or myself, uh, you can tweet them to us. 
and we will put them in the open bar and we will open it up to you guys and we will answer questions. Um, so just as a reminder to do that at any point, at any point throughout the season, we might even maybe we'll create an email address or something that people can send. Before we go, we are going to wrap things up as we always do here on Power Hour with a last call. It is a rant or a rave. It is whatever you might be saying to your pals as you have that final drink as the bar is closing. Chris, I'm going to give you the honors of the very first last call of the start of the season. It's UMass. Ranked number 133 in my preseason 133, and the fans were very upset about it. What does UMass do? They go out, they end a 15-game losing streak, a 24-game road losing streak, and they win their first opener against an FBS team in 40 years. So shout out to UMass and Don Brown, who's in his second year of a second stint as head coach there. Uh, It was fun for everybody to appreciate and enjoy UMass, who hasn't had a lot of wins, or I think they've had like three wins the last few years. Not much to cheer about. But UMass, you look pretty good. You're going to move up in the 133. I heard all the angry fans, and I wish you the best of luck as the season goes on. And you do look great. Don Brown's mustache. Elite. Really great. That was actually one of my main takeaways out of week zero. Brian Newberry's beard was elite. There was some really good facial hair. Really good to see some of these coaches uh, after after a hiatus. My last call is to you. It is to me. It is to everyone. We have made it. We made it through the offseason. We have spent the last month talking and thinking about realignment. We have worried about NIL, transfers, waivers, all of these things that have distracted us from the game that we love, the thing that brought us into college sports in the first place. And now we finally get to watch some games. We get to see if these quarterbacks are for real. You get to see if that star recruit is the one that takes your program to the next step. I am just so excited to see this. Shout out to the Pac-12. This is going to be an insanely fun season out West. So many great quarterbacks, so many teams. I really think that there's a team that's going to break the drought And I want to focus on that as much as we can. We're going to continue to cover the fallout of realignment for sure. But I hope that we can celebrate and and enjoy the season that is here. It it felt like a never-ending off-season at times, Chris. But I'm so excited that we made it. So cheers to you, to me, to everyone. You're cheering yourself with the first last call of the year. I am. I am. And I see no problem with that. I can take one shot glass and cheers it against the other. And now, you know what? I've decided that it's also a good place to wrap up the show. Okay, Chris? Okay? All right. Well, we're, in, we're, in, we're, ending, uh, we're ending on some uh, 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 little tense here. It is a rant or a rave. You're ranting about my rave. It's been a long August for both of us, for sure, with the realignment and everything that's going on. No, you deserve, uh, you deserve a shot for everything that's going on this month and everything you've been covering up until potentially the end of this week or onward with future ACC realignment. You do deserve. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll raise a glass to you as well for my last call as well. Well, I don't want to raise the glass to you anymore. So that'll do it for this edition of Power Hour. Happy week one to all. Thank you for tuning in to Until Saturday. Be sure that you are following this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are up. We also appreciate a five-star rating and review. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and join us every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on our live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. And Chris Benini and I, Nicole Auerbach, we will talk to you again next week.